You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 43. Luke 24, verse 36 through 43. I want to start off by praying before we dive in. So let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of the presence of your spirit. And we thank you for the, the power of the cross and the victory and the power of the, the empty tomb. Lord, I pray that you would bring all of that, the truth of your scriptures, the power and the illumination of your Holy Spirit as we open your word, and the victory in the power of the empty tomb of Jesus over the presence of Satan's sin and death. We pray that your son's presence, we pray, Jesus, that your presence would just be powerful among us this morning as we study your word and as we, as we reflect on what it would be like to just be just be in your presence. Help us, help us to be there and help, help our lives to be changed, transformed. God, I pray that you would just um, release just a sense of peace and quiet into our souls this morning so that we might hear from you. I pray, Lord God, that you would just paint a, a massive picture, etch it upon our hearts and our souls of how faithful you are to each of us. And Lord, I, I pray, God, that you would just cause a deep joy to well up inside of each of us as we catch that picture of you. So Lord, I pray that. I trust you to do that. I pray, God, that you would help me to preach well today. Lord, I pray that you would help the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth um, to bring you honor and glory. And Lord, I pray that you would use them, use me, use your word um, to do much good in our midst today. So God, I pray that I trust you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'll start off by asking a couple of questions of us this morning before we dive into the text, just to kind of get your, your minds and your hearts kind of heading in the direction that I think we would go. <clears throat> you ever felt overwhelmed by anxiety? completely overwhelmed by anxiety where you just almost like were crippled or paralyzed, almost couldn't move. Like you're facing a storm of your life. You're facing something that just causes your anxiety radars to just top tip the charts. I struggle with maybe trusting God in those moments, trusting God in the midst of the storms of life, even wondering if he's going to be faithful to what he has said he would do for you. Maybe felt totally consumed with doubt or despair, like just doubting that God would care for you, that God would walk with you, that God would show up in these circumstances, right? Just doubting that he would or even could or, or even would desire to do that. Struggling with those thoughts, even if, even if your mind or your heart doesn't necessarily put those words to it in those seasons, just maybe reflect on the last time that you struggled with that. For some of you, it may have been yesterday. For some of you, it could have been this morning. For some of you, it could have been in the last six months where you struggled in this area of just trusting in God's faithfulness and wrestling with your own anxiety, right? Or walk through long seasons where it feels like your heart and your soul are just depleted of the joy that you know instinctively in your mind, like in your head, you know that as a believer or a follower of Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus here, this, that, that as a believer, as a, as a professing Christ follower, that there should be joy deep inside of you. But instead of that, it feels like there's this deep, um, overwhelming sense of just depression or sadness or despair, right? Sometimes... Sometimes all of these things hit you at one time, all at the same time. 
And then it feels maybe like the wheels fell off the bus, right? Things didn't go the way they should have gone. Uh, and then you're left kind of just sitting in what feels like a great big emotional mess after a big emotional roller coaster, you know? Feel like you just can't hardly bear to move on or to go on or to move forward, wondering how you would fight through this and how you would come out on the other side uh, with your skin intact still. That kind of a season. And I think, I think that what, what Jesus would do in these seasons, what Jesus would do is I think that he would step into these seasons with us, right? And he would call us to, to rest in the peace of his presence. Because in the presence of Jesus, there is absolute, complete peace. In the perfect presence of Jesus, there is no anxiety. There's peace, stillness, right? I think that he would call us to trust in his faithfulness, to just trust and to believe and to rest and, and to quit striving to make things work on our own or in our timing, right? But instead to just step back and to say, I'm trusting in your faithfulness in the midst of my doubt, And I think in the midst of that, you know what I think happens is that we, as we're in the presence of Jesus, as he, as he causes us to rest in his peace, as he causes us and helps us and empowers us by his spirit to trust in his faithfulness and not to just take life by the horns on our own, right? I think that as he does that, then what happens is this deep abiding joy just begins to well up. Because the weight and the pressure of the world or the weight and the pressure of everything you ever wanted doesn't rest on you anymore. It now rests on he who is faithful and just. So then you're, you're released from all your striving then to just rest and be filled with joy. Doesn't that sound too good to be true? Doesn't it? Like that place, that spot. Like how do you get to that spot, right? And I, I get it. Some of us are probably thinking right now, well, more Bible reading, more prayer. And I think they're, those would be good, right? I just wonder if there's not so much of a magical formula to this in as much as it is just simply responding to the voice of Jesus, to Get into his presence as he comes to you. Final thing before we go to the text, because it, it crosses my mind. that not it awesome that we serve a God who came to us so that we could then come to him? Isn't there something really attractive about that, that, that this call for you and I to be in the presence of Jesus, isn't this call from some far off daddy who's sitting in the back room pissed off at you? This is the loving call of a father for you to come into the presence of Jesus who has come in the flesh and made his presence available to you, right? Like that's the kind of presence that I think we want to talk about today. Look at Luke 24, 36 through 43. Luke says this. He says, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. 
So it's the day after Easter. Or at least it's, the, it's late in the middle of the night, the night of Easter, one of the two. And all of Jesus' disciples have just witnessed the most horrifying day, right, of their lives. All their hopes, all their dreams been dashed against the, the, the rocks of disappointment. Everything they had built their hopes upon had come crashing down. They just witnessed the brutal murder of their friend Jesus, the one that they thought was going to come and set them free from the rule and the reign of Rome. They had their eyes locked on mere physical things. Things that they could either gain or be set free from in this world. And they did not sense yet or understand yet the spiritual implications of what had happened at the cross. And to top it all off, they'd gotten these reports that Jesus' body was missing. It was gone. Not sure where it's at. And on top of that, they're receiving reports from some among them that uh, Jesus was actually making appearances in the flesh. So just think about the, the pain, the suffering, the disappointment, the confusion, all wrapped up in just three days. This is an emotional roller coaster, right? Like massive emotional roller coaster up and down. They're all gathered in a house and they're talking about these things. They just had the two disciples that were on their walk to Emmaus that encountered Jesus last week as we studied at the table as he broke the bread, right? And then they ran back to Jerusalem to give this report. And so they're all standing in that house. That's the moment they're in. Can you sense the tension in the room and the excitement and the confusion and the fear even? Like just all of those feelings in one space, in one spot. And as those disciples are gathered in that house discussing those events, Jesus himself just like appears in the room almost magically. Right? Almost magically walking through the locked door of the house as he appears standing among them. And the first thing we see in this text is we, we, we see or we encounter the grace or the peace. Probably the grace too. We really encounter the peace of the presence of Christ. He walks in and he says, peace be to you. Hey, think about this for a minute. Think of the context of what's taking place again. Jesus walks in, peace be to you. On one hand, this is just a common greeting. Hey, how you doing today? Oh, doing well. This, was, this would have been a common greeting uh, for them. Shalom to you. Peace to you would have been the way that this culture of people would have greeted one another. And yet, yet on the other hand, I think in, in this context, I think this is, a, this is a moment that we really have to imagine. This isn't just an encounter on the side of the road. This isn't just walking to Walmart, hey, what's up, man, and then moving on or catching somebody at Russ's, right? Um, there's something really, uh, I think, important in the way that Jesus greets these disciples. Think about it. You've endured the disappointment of failed expectations, right? You've been bombarded with news release after news release after news release of horrifying events. And then right into the middle of all that chaos of your brokenness, your despair, your confusion, your fear, your pain, your disappointment, your depression, right into the middle of all those things happening all at one time, Jesus then appears physically in the same room proclaiming peace into that storm of life that you're experiencing. He doesn't leave you in that storm of life all by yourself. He walks in and says, peace. Now, when you and I are like, what's up, man, peace. I think when Jesus says it, there's an awful lot of power, I think, that comes with Jesus proclaiming that into this situation. What's your response in that moment? Like, think of the place that you're struggling in the most right now. The fear and the anxiety that you struggle with the most right now. 
Broken relationship? Possible relationship? Fear of what the future may hold for job? Struggling in your addictions keep creeping their way back up, right? Jesus wants to step into the middle of that and say, peace to that storm. Reminds me of the picture of Jesus in the boat with his disciples when there's a raging storm taking place that could have taken them out. What's Jesus doing? Sleeping in the boat. Sleeping in the boat. The disciples are waking him up and they're like, dude, would you freaking wake up? Because like, everything's going to come apart. Hello. And he's like, what is your problem? Like, peace to the storm. <laughs> it all just stops. Like, I've had seasons in my life where things just feel like it's coming undone. Right? Like, where I, I can't see past the tip of my nose. That's how close failure seems to be sitting on my doorstep, right? Those moments where I feel completely helpless or maybe completely worthless, um, all sorts of feelings, and I just cannot figure out how are we going to get through this darkness and where's the light on the other side and Jesus just steps in and says peace and it all dissipates what do you feel in that moment what do you do what do you think about in those moments when Jesus comes and the power of his presence speaks peace into your storm so the disciples <clears throat> the disciples man they, they respond in frightened anxiety right they get even more freaked out their thoughts immediately begin to spin out of control even worse they begin to believe that somehow they're seeing a ghost right Again, put yourself in the context. Be these guys and these women for just a minute. Maybe they were afraid. Maybe they were afraid because they had all abandoned Jesus on a day that he maybe needed them the most. You think about that. They were gone. Maybe they thought that Jesus' ghost was going to play tricks on them. I mean, they thought that Jesus' ghost was there to somehow get them back for their failure and their sin. You ever feel that way? You ever, you ever wonder what kind of presence Jesus would bring to the sinfulness and the shame and the disappointment and the guilt and the despair and the depression and your, your struggle with sin? In those moments when the light bulb goes off, right? When everything becomes clear and you, you, you realize, crap, I did it again, right? When the wheels fall off that bus of your sin struggle maybe and you begin to go, man, what if Jesus were here? When you, when you begin to realize that all of, all of your sneaking around is actually seen by Jesus always, then what kind of presence do you begin to wonder if he would bring to the room? And I'll tell you, a practical way for you to figure out what kind of presence you believe Jesus would bring to the room in those moments is to remember the kind of presence that your father or your mother brought to the room. Because we make a direct connection between the presence that we believe Jesus will bring and the presence that our parents brought to the room. If your parents brought an angry, shame-based, name-calling, guilt-driven type of presence to the room, then you will be afraid every time you realize that you need to meet with Jesus right now. And you know what it'll do? It'll set a pattern into your life that will have been there since probably in the womb, if you ask me. It will set a pattern into your life where you will fear the presence of Jesus to the extent that the peace that you could be getting from the presence of Jesus, that's like you're starving yourself from that. Isn't it just like the enemy of our souls to get us into that pattern from, from a place of birth, right? So that we would then starve from the peace of Christ that would nourish us to the point of maturity, 
You ever wonder what kind of presence Jesus would bring into the sinfulness and the shame, guilt, despair, depression, struggle with sin? Ever feel like you abandoned Jesus one too many times? Ever cower in the corner of your fear and your shame, thinking that if Jesus showed up right now, he would probably just give me the heaviest beatdown of my entire life? I have a feeling that that's a part of what's running through these disciples' minds. Like, holy crap, Jesus is here. Is it just a ghost? Is that ghost here to beat the tar out of us? Oh my gosh, what do we do? That's not Jesus' approach, is it? Jesus' approach with those that belong to him is to step into the storm of the life, step into the storms of life that we create, and in the midst of that, proclaim peace into the midst of those storms by the power of his presence. The second thing I notice is the faithfulness. It's not just the peace of the presence of Christ, but it's also the faithfulness of the presence of Christ. Like, can you hear Jesus' loving tone as we look at this? You think of the tone of voice that you hear in your mind when you think about the way that God's presence would be in the room with you. Can you hear his loving tone with these disciples? Like Jesus isn't looking to get anything from these guys. Jesus doesn't actually need anything from them, right? He doesn't actually really need them there at the cross with him. He's God, right? In the flesh. You could argue nuances of his fleshly desires that weren't sinful to have people there. Sure, you could argue that out, but that's not the point. He didn't walk into this room to get something from these guys. He didn't walk into this room to get revenge from them or to try to up the ante or to try to prove that he was somehow better than they were. He could have done all of that perfectly. He didn't walk into the room to scold them for their failures either. He could have justly done that and been without sin still. They deserved that. In reality, there was, there was a deservedness to that, right? Jesus didn't walk into the room that way. I think he walks in the room with this loving tone. Can you, can you hear his faithfulness? Think of the, the faithfulness of Jesus as our shepherd as he walks into the room, proclaims peace into our heavy hearts, and then listen to the encouragement. Listen to the encouragement in his rebuke. Oftentimes we don't think of warning and rebuke as encouraging, Listen to the tone. Why are you troubled? Love it when Jesus asks the why question. We hate the why question. Anybody else here hate the why question? Like, why are we going there? Why do we have to eat this? Why do we got to do that? Why did you ask me this? It's not my chore. Da, 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 right? My kids say it to me all the time. They're all smiling at me like, crap, you just threw us under the bus. No, I'm not really trying to throw you under the bus. I do it too. Why? Why? Because the reason that we hate the why question is because the why question forces us to get beneath the thing, beneath the thing, beneath the thing. Why? Why that? Why this? Why that? Why this? Just continues driving down deep. That's what Jesus is doing. In his loving tone, he's like, man, why are you troubled? And he does it again. And why do doubts arise in your heart? He's actually giving them a little bit of a lead, right? Why are you troubled? Surface level. I see the trouble. I see it in you. The reason that your trouble is because of doubt, so I'll just help you get there now. Now let's get below that. Why are you doubting? Jesus is so faithful. He's not going to stay up here on the surface. He's going to drive deep right off the bat. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Good questions for us to ask. If you're too afraid to go there, man, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would give you courage to go there and ask the question. Get a journal out, sit down with a friend, get transparent, get vulnerable, quit running from it, quit faking it, quit hiding, right? And just start asking those why questions. Man, why am I so troubled? Why is my life in shambles? Why do I constantly go back to those patterns over and over and over again? Okay, now, why, why am I doubting? Because the reality is I'm doubting God somehow. So why am I doubting him? What's underneath that? The reality is that if you doubt God in this area, you're trusting the faithfulness of something or someone else in a different area. If you doubt the faithfulness of God, then you're trusting in the faithfulness of someone or something else. 
This is the baseline of idolatry, right? When we as humans begin to look to created things as though they were the creator and begin to look to get from them what only God the creator can give to us, in his faithfulness, he gives us his peace. So ask the why question, man. Like, man, why is my life trouble? Why am I struggling with this? Why am I struggling with that? Because of doubt. Okay, why am I doubting? What am I doubting? What am I trusting in? Start asking those why questions legitimately and start wrestling it to the ground. And let me just tell you this too, just a, just a maybe a little sidebar note. A good friend of mine and I were talking this week about these types of concepts and, um, and it's not original with either one of us. Uh, it comes from a book called You Are What You Love. It's really about worship, I think. You are what you love. And we were talking about the process that you go through as you try to change. You try to see these things, right? And Jesus' presence shows up and asks you that question. You begin to recognize these big mountains in your life that you're trying to get past. And you keep noticing. You just keep butting up against them and coming back. One of the things that we realize is like, man, if you can can identify some of the lower things, some of the desires and the activity and the thoughts that you're thinking in this big area, May start looking elsewhere in your life for other places. So, so for instance, if you struggle with him, if you struggle with patience, okay, you struggle with patience, and you're struggling with a big area, um, I don't know, maybe maybe such as people around you, you're getting impatient with everybody around you, and all you do is cause all this conflict with people because you're so impatient with them because they will just never get to where you want them, right? You're struggling with that, and you're trying to figure out how do I get by that? How do I start fixing that? Well, start applying patience in other smaller areas of life, like when you're sitting in the McDonald's drive-thru and they're taking 30 minutes instead of three. You know what I mean? Just apply it there. Maybe you feel like that's bigger than people. I don't know. Start applying that maybe to, um, to people at your, your job, maybe. Start, start applying this um, by sitting and watching the dryer dry your clothes and just be patient for the time that it's going to take. Find areas that you can start flexing that muscle of patience so that your muscle can actually grow rather than just talking about it. Flex it. You know what I mean? It's kind of a protection from legalism and, and then just legalism, which is just really all in your head. So that's just some practical ways that I think you can kind of walk out trusting in the faithfulness of God and of the presence of Christ as you struggle in the midst of your own cycles. Can you just hear Jesus in this moment when he's asking this question, right? Why are you troubled? Why did doubts arise in your heart? Can you hear him playfully, maybe? Playfully asking the question, like twinkle in his eye. Like, hey, guys, like, why are you doubting? Or do you hear this shame-based, angry father who is going to get back at you for all your failures and make you pay, Right? Which do you hear? Now, I'll be honest, I struggled with that voice for a long time, and that's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's the voice of a deceiver who comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And if he could mimic the voice of God, how would he do it the best? He would take the very words of God and just change the tone so that you would be offended. But hear the voice of Jesus in this. The voice of Jesus, I think, is playful and loving. I think he's firm and he's resolute. He's not giving up on this either, right? He's going to work at getting to the thing beneath the thing beneath the thing of our fear and our doubt and our anxiety and our, our depression, our despair. But can you just feel the kindness of Jesus even as he walks into this room, as he refuses to let this thing go, as he refuses to bow out of an opportunity to shepherd your heart through your fear and your doubt? That's the presence of Jesus. He's so faithful, so loving, so gentle to shepherd us in the midst of our fear, our doubt, and our despair. It's almost like this is the moment he's been waiting for all along. Don't you think? like that teachable moment, like Jesus had in the back of his head all along. Dude, I can't wait for the day that I get to walk right through the wall. Show up. Let their worlds just fall apart. 
like look at the fear on their faces. This is going to be a riot because I get to deal with something that needs to get dealt with. And I get to do it in the most loving way as my presence is there. I can just see Jesus and the Father and the Spirit having this conversation back before the foundations of the world. Hey, yo, the crucifixion is going to be tough, but can you imagine the very next day after you come back to life when you walk into that room? Oh. Like sometimes, sometimes I don't think that we see the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit having relational conversations like this because we somehow like relegate them down to some uh, like board of directors. Okay, stamp approved, stamp not approved, boom, going to hell, boom, going to heaven, right? Okay, let's get some rest. I just don't think we, sometimes we, we, we wrestle with the relational aspect of God, our Father, in his love and his kindness and his joy, right? Like his presence, I think, will be... I don't know. I just think it's way outside of our understanding. Think of what heaven will be like. Jesus is giving his disciples a taste of that. In this moment where he walks into the room of your confusion, your fear, your shame, proves that he is the master shepherd of wounded and broken and sin-filled hearts, right? This is the Jesus in all of his resurrected glory and all of his love for you and for me on display, being manifested in the flesh. Why? To renew our hope. I would say to give us true hope to remove the old failing false hope that we had to give us brand new real authentic hope trust in his work at the cross as his presence comes to bear on our lives this is the faithfulness of the presence of Christ have you experienced the faithfulness of the presence of Christ and now number three, number three, we see in this passage the joy of the presence of Christ, right? Verses 39 through 43, as we kind of come down to the end of it, we see the joy of the presence of Christ. Like what more could you and I want? What more could you and I want when facing the physical realities of our suffering in sin and brokenness and weakness? What more could we want to cling to in this life other than the truth and the reality of the physical resurrection and glorification of Jesus? Like, I, here's the thing. I think the resurrection and glorification of Jesus is hard for us to comprehend Truth be told, hard for us to believe. I think about these guys were there. They saw it. They were experiencing it. You know, I think they still struggled. And yet we, we weren't there. We didn't get to feel his hands and his feet. We didn't, we didn't get to experience that the way that these guys did. And so how easy is it for us to begin to doubt in the presence of Christ for our lives, in the actual reality and the truth of the resurrection, the physical reality of his physical body. Jesus was not just a ghost, right? They were able to feel his hands and his scars and his feet. They, they watched him eat food. Doesn't this renew your hope? Think about that. This is, this is part of the reason that I think that it's so easy for us to trust faster in things we see in front of us, right? I want to get my bank account to a certain way. I want to find that perfect spouse. I want to have 2.3 kids. I don't know why it's 2.3. I want to have 2.3 cars for my 2.3 garage, right? I want to, want to get those new clothes. I want to have this. I want to have that. I want to get here. I want to go there. I want to do this. Like all those things in the physical realm, not necessarily bad, but when those not necessarily bad things become ultimate things, then they become bad things, right? So the, the, when you think about the resurrected Christ and the fact that his body, the tomb was empty, right? and that his body was physically resurrected. This is a truth that God calls us to believe in the scriptures. This is high theology. That would be one way of saying it. Really high theology when you start thinking and talking about the implications of this. 
And what needs to flow out of high theology, which is basically the study of God, right? What needs to flow out of all that head knowledge is high doxology. High theology is all about how God relates to us, right? And we relate to him basically. Uh, it's our study of him, getting to know him. And what needs to flow out of that high theology, high belief, high understanding, right? Needs to flow high doxology, which is simply worship. That's what that is. So another way to say it is what you believe about God must drive the way you live. If what you believe about God is not driving the way you live, then what it proves to you is that you, you are living out a reality of trusting in something other than the faithfulness of God and the peace of God and the joy of God. What greater vision, what greater vision could you and I need for, for our joy to be legitimate? Like, think of the places where you think you find happiness. So use the word happiness rather than joy. What makes you feel happy? And no, I will not quote that gorilla song again. You can all breathe a sigh of relief. What makes you feel happy? Like when you get up in the morning and you are happy, what is it that causes you to feel that way? What causes your whole body to feel like it's coming alive? And start reverse engineering that and just find out where is the breakdown where Christ is not the one who brings you that happiness, that joy, that abiding joy. What greater vision for your joy to be legitimately renewed than this vision of the resurrection of Jesus and the truth that we will also share in that same resurrection for our physical bodies? What greater truth do we need to drive the worship of our lives? For Jesus, man, he proves it here, right? I said it earlier. It's like, hey, check out my hands, check out my feet, touch the scars. Observe the healing effects of the power of the resurrection that's available to you. Check out how, how, how I can still enjoy myself feasting on some fantastic seafood. This is Jesus, I think, playing around a little bit. Like, let's eat some fish together. All of those joys are available to you and I for all of eternity through the truth of the resurrection. What do you think in those moments? What do you feel? What do you do? You somehow wonder if maybe it's all too good to be true? Asked that question earlier, right? Back to that. It's all too good to be true. Like Luke tells us that all this happened, listen, all this happened while the disciples still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. The disciples still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. In other words, this wasn't that they didn't believe, but it's also that they didn't believe. They were struggling to believe. They were absolutely floored and completely shocked. This, think of this moment in your life. Be like the biggest emotional roller coaster of your life is happening. You're right in the middle of it. Starting off with absolute horror and fear, right? And then ending in the utter shock and dismay of the joy of some sort of an unthinkable outcome. Your greatest dreams plus that came true. What are your greatest dreams now? Is your greatest dream walking out of here and self-medicating yourself somehow so that you can cope with the pain of your life? Is that your greatest dream? 
Is your greatest dream getting the fattest paycheck you ever had? Is that, is that your greatest dream right now? Is your greatest dream finding that spouse that you get married to? Is your greatest dream going home and looking at something on your computer today? What is it? What is your greatest dream that you've been seeking after, longing after, wanting your entire life that somewhere deep down inside you said, that's the ultimate thing. And when I get it, I'll be great. Jesus comes in and shows you how that great ultimate thing that you wanted falls so terribly and utterly short of him. That's good. Right? Like, you know what I dream about? You want to know what I love? I love church planting. It's a good thing. Isn't that a good thing? I love leadership development. It's a good thing, right? I love the topic of making disciples. It's a, it's a good thing. Really good. I love, I love chopping up the Bible, right? Like, not with a hatchet, but like what's in it. Let's talk about what we believe. So I love that. Good things. Do you guys have any clue how often I make those things ultimate things and set the presence of Christ aside and therefore lose all my peace and all the true joy that I could be tapping into? Want to take a crack at how often that happens? More often than you know. I walk this struggle with you guys. Different place, right? Different place. And what I want to call you to is living in the presence of Christ so that he could speak peace into the storms of your life as you trust in his absolute rock-solid faithfulness so that authentic joy would well up from deep within you. And so those are the three things I want to call you to. That's my answer to how this passage is helpful to us. Number one, I'm going to call you to rest in the peace of the presence of Christ amidst your storms. And you may feel the anxiety of the storms of your life today, but Jesus wants to call you to rest in the peace that he offers to you in the midst of that storm. Man, it may be the storm of a broken relationship. It might be the storm of battling addiction or the storm of a lack of resources, but Jesus wants to step physically into that storm with you and he wants to help you rest in the only true peace that he gives generously by the power of his presence. I want to call you to that, to resting in that peace through regular times in scripture, regular times in prayer, regular times before the Lord, transparency, vulnerability with brothers and sisters in Christ, and regular disciplines of praise and worship. That's the first practical thing I want to call you to. Practice the presence of Jesus so that he can speak peace into your storm. Number two, trust in the faithfulness of the presence of Christ amidst your fear. I use those words intentionally. It's biblical. It's right out of this text, number one. But isn't it so good for us to hear that in the midst of our fear, Jesus wants to speak peace into that. And as he wants to speak that, then we got to trust in his faithfulness, the faithfulness of his presence amidst our fear. Now, you may be wrestling with the effects of crippling fear today. You might have walked in here, might have felt totally crippled by fear, totally afraid of where God is calling you to head and what you need to do, right? Could be a boyfriend and a girlfriend needing to stop sleeping with each other. How hard would that be? Crap, she might leave me if I do that, right? Might be an unhealthy relationship that you're part of that you need to put on the back burner and trust in God's timing, trusting his faithfulness rather than doing it on your own. Because when you and I do things on our own, we make a big fat mess out of things. That's called sin. And I realize God is gracious, yes, but grace does not give us a license to continue to walk in sin and make a bigger mess. The trust in the faithfulness of Christ and his presence to stand courageously against the fearful powers of Satan, sin, and death. You may be afraid of where your next paycheck is going to come from. I'd be afraid of confessing your sin or be afraid that God is too ticked at you to love you. Maybe you're afraid of backing away from that relationship. Jesus wants to call you to trust him. Trust 
him and the faithfulness of his resurrected presence in the midst of your fear. That might mean that you might need to get courageously vulnerable with somebody. Maybe you need to courageously ask for help with your finances instead of a handout. Maybe you need to courageously resist that unhealthy relationship, like I said. Maybe you need to ask the Lord to reveal his loving posture towards you so that you can see him as a loving, kind father, not an angry, vengeful father in the place that you're at today. And there is a place for God's vengeance. Thank God, right? Thank God there's a place for his vengeance. One side of that is justice. And I will tell you, there are many things that we need to see God enact his just wrath and vengeance towards sinful people who refuse him and do damage to his name and do damage to others. So thank God for that wrathful vengeance of his. If you're his child, that's not the presence he's bringing to you. If you're not his child, that's what you stand in fear of. If you are his child, he comes to you out of love. But if you are his child and he comes to you out of love, you cannot be in the presence of Jesus' love without being radically changed, which means the power of Satan, sin, and death are conquered in you just like they are in him because that's the presence that Jesus brings to our lives. So maybe you need to courageously resist some things, ask the Lord to reveal his loving posture towards you. That's my second call to you guys, is to trust in the faithfulness of the resurrected Jesus in the midst of whatever brings you fear. And then number three, I want to call you guys to be filled with the joy, filled with the joy of the presence of Christ amidst your despair. Like you might be full of despair today, but Jesus wants to call you to be filled with joy that comes from being in his presence. If you're filled with despair instead of joy because you realize that your addiction is a poisonous grave. Maybe that old depression and sadness has crept up again. Maybe your loneliness has consumed you. Maybe your plans for a more stable future have fallen apart. In the midst of that despair... Jesus is calling you to be filled with the joy of his resurrected presence. It could mean for you that you need to revive a Bible reading plan to be in his presence where you can get to know Christ through his word. Maybe you need to join a gospel community where you can be encouraged by other mature believers. Here's what drives me nuts. I want to be careful with this, but I want to say this. When I, when I see young believers, right, coming to Jesus and and it's awesome to want to gather together, so hear me. Awesome to want to gather together to study God's word. But when young believers, young quote-unquote um, professing believers say they want to come and follow Jesus and they want to do these Bible studies together, right? And there's no mature believer in, the, in their presence. That bothers me. That's unhealthy, right? They're, you need to follow some mature believers in front of you. People that have said, I've been there, I've done that, I've got that, and Jesus did all of this in my life. So come follow me as I follow Jesus. Not a pride thing whatsoever. It's somebody like Paul being able to say, hey, yeah, Jesus did that in me, and so you come follow me so the same thing can happen in you. Point being... So as you follow Jesus, it might be good for you to get in the same room with some other mature believers who can direct and guide and speak truth into your life. I need to carve out time in your schedule for being filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit, maybe, through communion with your Father. Maybe that's time spent in worship. Maybe that's time spent uh, with the scriptures open or time spent in prayer, time spent in journaling. Man, I had a moment this last week where, where I woke up and I, I get into my office and I had a gazillion things on my list to do. 
a gazillion administrative tasks, people tasks, appointments to set up, sermons to write, right? Um, small group materials I need to get through, uh, counseling appointments that uh, are up and down that I need to think through, right? Just all, notes I got to write down, uh, you know, roughly four board meetings a month. Just thinking through all this, a schedule, crazy counseling schedule of 21 revolving appointments every month on top of four other ones every week. There, I mean, can you just hear my, my frame of thought that morning as I was up and in my office? I could not figure out where to go next. Felt this impulsivity inside of me, like just kind of impulsively jumping from one task to the next, like I can't figure it out, right? And just needed to stop. There was no joy in that. I was getting frustrated, right? I just needed to stop. And in that moment, I'm writing out some of my thoughts and feelings as I'm, as I'm journaling. I'm looking at John 15, looking at John 17. John 15 is all about abiding in Christ and his presence. John 17 is the high priestly prayer of Jesus before he goes to heaven. Hey, Father, you gave me all these crazy sheep. Um, I'm trusting you with them. I'm out bailing. See you. Right? That's... John 15, John 17. I'm praying through that as a pastor, as a shepherd, trying to let the Spirit just kind of speak to me. And I had this one line, and the line was, Jesus is not your work. You are Jesus' work. Like, he said that to me over and over and over again for years, probably in different ways. I just needed to hear it again. That day, you know what happened for me? The storm began to dissipate. God spoke peace into the middle of it. I began to trust again his faithfulness. And an inward joy began to control me again. So maybe that's you, man. Maybe you just need to dive into the presence of Jesus, right? So that he can fill you with his joy. Question for all of us is where are you at with that? What does it look like for you to move forward practicing the presence of Christ? So this passage is the peace of Christ's presence on display. That's what I think. It's the, it's the faithfulness of Christ's presence on display. It's the joy of Christ's presence on display for us. And so my encouragement to you as I wrap this up and conclude is this. Rest in the presence of Christ. Rest in the peace of Christ's presence. Trust in the faithfulness of Christ's presence and be filled with the joy of Christ's presence as you leave today. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this passage of Scripture, and we thank you for the power of your presence. We ask, God, that you would continue to speak to us through this story. Help us to desire and to yearn for and to long for your presence. And Lord, I pray that you would bring peace into the many storms that I know um, can be taking place in people's hearts and lives today. But I pray that you would help our church family to rest and to trust in your faithfulness and your goodness and your love. And then I pray, God, that you would fill us with your joy to overflowing so that we would bring you glory and honor and so that people in our community around us would see that and be attracted to you. I pray that you would help us to worship you in spirit and in truth with our lives. That you would take the truths of this teaching, the truths of theology, the truths of our study of you. Help us to believe what we read here and what we hear preached here. And then help us to live that out in a worshipful way that brings you honor and glory. Help us not to live in the cycle of a worship dysfunction. Help us to worship you in spirit and truth. Lord, we bless you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.